Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I sit down with Wendy Hendry. Sapphire training helps the on-the-go woman feel more energetic, find her inner peace, and become more powerful by creating a fitness lifestyle she loves. So today's podcast, Wendy and I discuss her weight philosophy, and weight is W-A-I-T, and it is all about basically how we can be more mindful when we're eating and exactly how our brains are working during that mindfulness process. So she has a bachelor's degree in microbiology, and that definitely can be seen on today's interview because she really breaks it down. And I know I have a lot of people who listen who do like the science part, and so I think you're really going to connect to getting to know the whys and exactly how it's working and how our brains are working when we're seeing different foods and how that relates to our cravings, to food addictions, to breaking food habits or keeping new food habits. So it's such a great little interview. Um, I really think you guys are going to like Wendy and her take on nutrition and food and how you can use her approach to better help you um, on your fitness and lifestyle journey. So without further ado, here is today's episode with Wendy. Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. Today I am here with Wendy Hendry, and I'm very excited to have you on today, Wendy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks for yes. having me. Yeah, no problem. So I want to kind of get a, get to know you a little bit more and more about your background um, and how you found yourself kind of in the wellness space. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I struggled personally with my eating for, I'm 50 now, and I started dieting and binging when I was about 12 or 13. Uh, and so I always, I always wanted to know like what the answers were and I could just never, never find them. And um, I, I went to college. I'm technically a microbiologist by trade. Um, and so I'm always, in, I've always been interested in like the science of things and how things work and stuff. Uh, and so after college, um, I was married. I, I worked in a laboratory for a long time. Um, and I started having kids and I started gaining weight even more. And at that point, it was mostly just binging, not a lot of dieting. Um, <laughs> and, and after uh, my third kid was born, I started doing Tybo. Do you remember Tybo? Oh, yeah. You know, Billy Blinks. Yeah. Yep. And I, I fell in love. I became totally addicted to Tybo. Uh, and so, and I was even in, in a few of his videos. Like, I just, I loved it. And I was good at it. And I wanted to teach it, but I could not find anybody that would give me a job. Like, none of the gyms, because I was heavy. I was overweight. Mm -hmm. I didn't look like a fitness instructor. So I decided I was going to do my own thing. So I started my own gym called Sweaty Chicks Fitness. Uh, and so that's kind of how I got started into the health and wellness thing. And I would see not only myself, but my students struggling with their weight. So I started looking into nutrition a little bit more. And then I became a health coach uh, from there. And I still, even though I, I was able to physically get better, my, my blood sugar came down and my blood pressure, I got to a healthy weight um, also, I, I still hadn't figured out my binging. So at that point, I was still binging and restricting and binging and restricting. So, so it was sort of this like pendulum just back and forth. Um, and then I read this book called Brain Over Binge by Katherine Hansen. It is an amazing book. We're, we've gotten to be pretty good friends now. Um, and in that book, she talks about the two brain theory about how we have our limbic system and our prefrontal cortex and, and that they're kind of competing for, for different things. Um, and that just opened up a whole new world to me. And then after that, I 
came up with my own like mindfulness techniques and um, I was able to overcome my own binging. I don't binge anymore. I have a normal relationship with food for the first time in my whole entire life. So that's kind of how it all came, came about. And after I was able to quit binging, I realized that I needed uh, to help other people. I had talked to Catherine quite a bit. Catherine, she started binging in college. And when she uh, started learning about the two-part brain and, and this mindfulness stuff, she was able to just quit binging, like automatically, quick, bam, she was done. And it wasn't like that for me. It took me a lot longer. And I don't know if maybe it was because that habit was so ingrained, uh, but whatever reason, it, it took me a lot longer. And I'm grateful for it now because that's now how I'm able to help other people. Because I've found for most people, they don't stop binging right at first. I mean, it takes some time. These habits need to need to be changed and it does take time. Mm. And then what is your definition of, of binging? Oh, nobody has ever asked me that, Andrea. <laughs> I always ask that question to everybody I talk to, like all of my clients. No one has ever asked me. Uh-huh. So everybody kind of has their own definition of binging. Mm-hmm. I actually have been using emotional eating a lot more because for some people, binging is just eating um, an extra two bites of dessert, you know, and other people, people have these food rules. So it depends on what your food rules are. For me, a true binge is when it's out of control. When you feel like you have no control over it, it's mindless, like you're in this trance. That is what a binge to me is. Perfect. Yeah. I like to ask that now because I actually went to a speaker, gosh, few months ago now, and her definition of binge eating was way different from anyone that I was sitting around. And so we're all like, huh, I, we had never even thought that that would be so different. So that's why I figured I should ask you just to clarify what you think binging is. So yeah, binging is kind of a negative term too. People don't like to consider themselves bingers. Uh, So really, I just, I call myself an emotional eating specialist and Mm -hmm. I, I really have been able to, to help like literally thousands of people. It's sort of just this change in thought that you have to have a little paradigm shift. And once you have it, uh, your whole perspective changes and any kind of compulsion, not just emotional eating, but really any addiction, it just becomes something that is not scary anymore and that you're able to overcome. It's like when when say you're hiking in the woods and you see a, a snake and all of a sudden you get freaked out and then you realize, oh, it's just a rope and you can breathe. Yeah. So <laughs> I've done that a few times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So most people that have any kind of addiction, they're looking at a snake, but really it's just a rope. And as soon as they see it for what it is, it, it changes everything. Mm, I like that. So I know this is probably um, similar to then to your weight loss philosophy, and then weight is spelled W-A-I-T. For those of you who are listening, um, how'd you kind of come up with that? Um, So weight loss stands for what am I thinking? Mm -hmm. And it came about because after I read Catherine's book, um, I wanted to be done. Like, let me kind of give you the the basics behind this two-part brain stuff because everything else will will make a lot more sense. So you have these two competing voices. You have the voice that's telling you to eat the donut and you have the voice that's telling you you shouldn't eat the donut. Have you heard those two competing voices before? Oh yeah. Yeah. And those two voices are actually coming from separate parts of your brain. And so the voice that's telling you to eat the donut is coming from a part of your brain called the limbic system. 
The limbic system, it's just, it, they call it the child brain because it's impulsive. It's just there to keep you alive. It's the same brain that the animals have. And when an animal wants to go eat, it doesn't stop and think, hmm, is that mouse going to make me fat? Like it just kills and it eats. And we have that same brain and it's the first part of our brain to develop. It also houses our habits, all our automation, our breathing, our heart rate. It's there to keep you alive. When you're hungry, it tells you to go eat. When you're being chased by a bear, it tells you to run. Like it's our, that's what the limbic system's for. It doesn't think, it doesn't have any kind of intellect or analytical skills. It's just an organ like a lung or a liver or your heart. It has a purpose and it does its purpose. The part of your brain that's telling you to eat the broccoli or the salad, that is coming from a part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex, it's right in the front, it's your gray matter. And it doesn't develop until you're about in your mid-20s. And it's what houses your personality, um, your analytical skills, your, your thoughts. It, it is what makes you who you are. Your prefrontal cortex belongs to Andrea. Mine belongs to Wendy. They're different. And that's what makes us who we are. And they always, it's always going to look out for your best interest. So the voice that is telling you to make the good choices, the little angel on your shoulder, that's your prefrontal cortex, or sometimes it's called the adult brain. And that's the brain that you want to listen to. And so after I read Catherine's book, I could hear those voices, like clearly, I could all of a sudden hear the voices. I never really understood what mindfulness was about. I always thought it was just some kind of yoga guru, new age thing. But as soon as I realized that I actually had voices going on in my head, it I started to understand. And I think my brain and most of us, I think we're just going all the time. Our brains are constantly going. We don't ever slow down and pause and try to hear what is what exactly is our brain saying to us. And so I could hear the voices clearly. I could hear the voice that said, eat a donut or three or five or two dozen. And then I could hear the voice that said, yeah, not a good idea. You need to take better care of yourself. But I still couldn't stop binging. So it was even more frustrating than ever because I could hear it and I, I let the limbic system win every time. Like I was actually binging worse because I was so stressed and frustrated with myself. And so I decided that I needed a reminder to stop and pause and figure out what was going on in my head. Because when I was heading for the kitchen, it was like a train. You just, you couldn't stop me. I didn't stop for at all. And so I needed a reminder. So I put, um, at first I just had kind of an index card and I wrote, what am I thinking on there to stop and think, what am I thinking? And then it wasn't working. So I wanted something bigger. <laughs> so I put a big piece of paper and I just put the acronym W A I T. And I was like, Oh, that's so symbolic because it's <laughs> like, wait. And, uh, and, and so that's kind of when I started slowing down a little bit I started pitting the two voices against each other because I'm kind of competitive. And I talk about this a lot in my book too. Um, but I, I started pitting my child brain against my adult brain. And when my adult brain would win, I would give myself like a point. And then as soon as I got to a certain number of points, I'd go get a pedicure or a massage or something. Uh, and so, so that was probably the, 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 
the changing point or the turning point in my whole journey where I started to realize, all right, I can make a choice here. I do have control. Uh, and once I started realizing that, it became, it became easier. And, and I have a lot of other techniques and stuff that I use, little games and stuff you can play with your, your mind to make it a little easier to listen to that adult voice. But that's, that's really the whole key to making good choices with anything. Even my son, I taught, taught it to him and he was able to quit smoking. Um, so it really, it really works. And that's pretty much what mindfulness is. So weight is mindfulness. What am I thinking? I like that. And about how long did it take you or how many times did you have to keep kind of trying? Cause I know I find this with some of my clients is it does take, it's not, you know, they might have it for a little while and then they backslide. And then sometimes the backslide lasts longer than you would like. And then having to start over again, like, is that kind of something that you found with your journey? Absolutely. That is exactly what happened to me. I would think that I had it conquered and then, uh, pick it back up again. And once that habit would start up again, man, it just was hard to stop it. And so I'd go a while binging and then I'd stop again. And I look back now and I, I have three main techniques that I use. One I, I use is called disengage and distract. Another one is called uh, sitting with the uncomfortable. And then the other one is recognizing the manipulations. And each each one of these were things that helped me. And once I got through all of these, like I was, I was done. Like I can't remember when I last binged now. It's been a, a, a long time. And so I look back and I think, man, maybe I needed to go through that in order to learn these different techniques so that I could help other people. So it's really just a matter of, of not giving up. Like you just keep going. So when you do, when your clients... Like, I mean, and you, you know this, you know as much as I do, but when your clients struggle like that, it's just, they're trying to make these, these new neuropathway connections, these neuron connections. And, and it sometimes takes time. And I think realizing that, that emotional eating or food addiction or any of that isn't a disease. It's not an illness. It's not a disease. It really is a choice. And once you realize that and you start to learn how to, to strengthen your willpower, you can do it. Anybody can do it. Even if it does take some time, it's okay. And I think it's important to not beat ourselves up too. We tend to beat ourselves up for things that are just so normal. And it's part of the cycle. Have you seen that with your clients? Like that shame cycle, you binge, you're shamed, you diet, you binge, you're shamed. Like it's part of the whole equation. And if you can't stop the binging right away, then try to stop the shaming because even that is going to shake up that habit loop and make things a little easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking of one of my clients even just recently and she kind of had a self-sabotage week. And right. so she was just like, I just kind of just did the whole week and, you know, trying to, okay, pull myself back out of that. And, um, you know, any tips for that? If like you just are self-sabotaging yourself, you want to make these changes and then all of a sudden, there's something inside of you that's just being like, no, let's not. Yep. So I read a book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Have you ever read that? Uh -uh. It's a really good book. It's about leadership though. And the author talks about living above the line versus living below the line. And he talks about how above the line leaders are people who um, are emotionally intelligent. They take personal responsibility. They uh, don't do gossip or drama. 
people below the line are the opposite. Those are people with victim mentality, people that um, have low emotional intelligence, always have drama surrounding them. And so he said something that, that totally changed the way I look at things. He said that a good leader doesn't necessarily never go below the line because our natural human tendency is to go below the line. That's where we want to be. Mm-hmm. But a good leader can recognize when they're below the line and quickly make the shift. And I realized that, oh my gosh, that applies to our eating. That's the key. And that's kind of how I overcame my binging was I just learned to, to recognize when I was below the line eating wise, nutrition wise, and I was able to quickly make the shift. And I got to where I was quicker and quicker and quicker. We are never going to be perfect in our eating. I do not know anybody who is 100% perfect in their eating and never has something that is against their quote unquote food rules. Mm-hmm. And so we have, to, we have to realize that that is our human tendency is we want to be able to enjoy ice cream and donuts and chips and, and it's okay every once in a while. But the difference between somebody that is healthy and somebody that's not is the healthy person is able to recognize when they're below the line eating wise, not, you know, leadership wise, but eating wise, and they can quickly make the shift. So when you find yourself sabotaged or, or, you know, you're at a family reunion and you find yourself indulging, um, instead of allowing that to continue on, which is the, the, what the hell mentality, um, recognize it quickly. Okay. Yeah. So I ate an extra few eclairs. It's okay. I'm right back on track. I'm back above the line. And as, as you keep, as you go on, you'll find that there's more and more space in between the time you dip below the line. I very rarely um, eat sugar now, but when I do, it's okay. You know, I just quickly shift back above the line and, and get back into my good habits. Oh, I like that thinking and just, you know, kind of setting it up there and especially for people who are visual, just kind of thinking of that and not just kind of mindlessly doing, you know, what you're eating, whatever you're eating and just paying attention. Okay. Where have I been? Am I above? Am I below? Or am I kind of just treading that middle of the line? And, you know, just kind of having that visual, I think would help people. Exactly. But what about for like food habits? So I know I personally would have food habits. Uh, One bad one that I got into uh, was when I used to, I, when I was in college, I subbed at a preschool. And so every day for lunch, I would walk over to the super target and I would get cookies. I'd have (laughs) my lunch and I would have and I would do that every day. And so that habit I found, I didn't necessarily want them, but because it was like my habit of doing it, like I just kind of had that bad habit of doing it over and over. And, um, you know, I think we all fall into those things, whether it be like chocolate after lunch, you know, we have those things that we need. How do we break some of those habits? Mm -hmm. It's just all about staying mindful and not letting yourself go into that that trance state that we tend to do it. Remember back when you were five and you were learning to tie your shoes. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Well, even thinking of my son, well, he's 17 months now. And so he just watching him do anything. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. If you think about it, that young kids learn to tie their shoes, it's kind of hard. And I mean, I don't remember anything from 45 years ago, but I do remember 
really struggling with where to pull that bunny ear through. Like, where is that loop? And you'd try to pull it through and it didn't work and you didn't have your bow. And it just took intense concentration. But now I can tie my shoe like a boss. Like I can tie my shoe and hum his song and cook dinner all at the same time. Because it moved from my prefrontal cortex into the place where our habits are stored into that automatic part of our brain. And it's the same thing with any habit that you want to change. It takes intense focus, intense concentration temporarily for a while until it becomes a habit and it moves to the back part of your brain. So you just have to think of it like any habit. It's like learning to tie your shoes. You just have to stay focused and stay aware and stay mindful uh, until eventually it it moves into that automatic part and eating is no exception. Mm, I like that. And do you ever suggest like even trading habits or, you know, instead of this, try to this? Um, I think oh, that works a lot of times. As a matter of fact, I, do you know what trichotillomania is? No. So trichotillomania is when you pull your hair and it usually starts when people are in junior high and I had trichotillomania. Like I had a little bald spot at a kind of a big bald spot at the crown of my head. And I, it was so shameful. I couldn't talk about it for a long, long time. Uh, but as I was studying and reading up for my book, and I did it into my adult years, I learned to move it around so I didn't have that bald spot anymore, but I was still pulling my hair out. And so I started reading up on things and I was reading Roy, Roy Baumeister's book, uh, The Willpower Instinct. That's another really good book. Um, and he talks about habit replacement, the, the habit replacement theory, mm -hmm. where in a habit loop, you have the trigger, which is, say you're brushing your teeth. You see your toothbrush, it reminds you, I have to brush my teeth. Then the routine, which is the brushing, and then the reward, which is a bright, shiny, clean mouth. And it's the reward that kind of stimulates and keeps that habit loop going. Well, in any compulsion, it it's not necessarily a reward that is that is triggering it it's kind of an anticipation of reward but what they found is that you can take out the routine and replace it pretty much with anything and so when i read that i thought i wonder if i could do that with my hair pulling so every time i started pulling at my hair i would touch my index finger to my thumb and just kind of rub it around and i so i i took intense focus a lot of concentration because the pulling the hair out of my head was just this habit that i developed i didn't even realize a lot of times when i was doing it i had to ask my husband can you help me when you see my hand at my hair remind me and then i would force myself to touch my index finger to my thumb and rub it around and it took it took a long time it took about a year uh, before now, my habit is just to rub my index finger around my thumb. And so I think you can do that pretty much with, with most compulsions. Um, just find, find a replacement routine for it. Uh, and it does, again, take a lot of focus, but it is doable. Mm, yes, that's something that I studied um, Ayurveda. And that's one of the things that they kind of go about is having that trigger and then your behavior and then a reward after. Right. And that's something that I've, you know, just wondering, because I love studying habits and talking habits and just seeing what makes people tick, especially being in the fitness industry. I mean, so much of what we do is based on those habits and those routines and, you know, just having any information that I can to help people, you know, because I think that's something that's hard for a lot of people is getting into the habit of eating properly and fueling their body 
and trying to work out on top of that, those are two tough habits for most people. Right. Yeah, they are. Definitely. So what do you do for people when they come to you and they're like, I want to try this diet? Um, you know, is there any way that you kind of, or teach them any way of, Hey, how about we try this instead? Yeah. I diet is such a four letter word. I, I found that it really is like a pendulum. Anytime you start restricting it's going to swing back the other way because that limbic system has to keep you alive. And eventually it literally shuts down your prefrontal cortex and takes control. Just like if you tried to stop breathing, you would pass out eventually and your body would just take over. Your limbic system would take over. And it's the same with your eating. So the most important thing is, is to not restrict. Um, and that doesn't mean that you can't lose weight because you can. We're filling our diets with a lot of crap that has no nutritional value whatsoever. Uh, and so when people come to me and they want to lose weight, I just get them eating every, every few hours. It's important, especially with emotional eater, to not let themselves get hungry. Uh, but I just try to make sure that they're focusing on getting the proper nutrients because once you do that, it's a lot easier to work on the mindfulness. If you're not getting the right nutrients, then it's, it's pretty much impossible. So as far as diets go, I don't advocate for any diet. And um, I don't really advocate for restriction, but there's a caveat with that because I, I really can't do sugar very well. I'm not one of those people that enjoys eating half a dessert and leaving the rest on the plate. If I stay super focused, like if I am in learning to tie my shoe mode, I can do it, but it's not fun. I don't enjoy the cravings and I don't enjoy the urges. And so I really have a sugar kind of in my red zone list of foods that, that I, I stay away from. But I never tell my limbic system that I can't have sugar. According to my brain, I can have whatever I want, whenever I want. Because if I say I can't have it, that's all I'm going to think about. But when it comes to making the choice at the time, 95% of the time, I make the healthy, the healthy choice. And so that's kind of what I teach people to do. And especially people that have a sweet tooth or a carb addiction, um, kind of put it on your restrictive list. Just don't let your brain know that you're restricting because there is, there's no future. It's not like we have to say, I'm never going to have sugar again because there is no future. There's always just now. And so when I'm going to make the choice, sure, I could have sugar if I want, but right now I'm going to make the healthy choice. Did that, did that make any sense at all? It's kind of hard to explain. No, I thought that made perfect sense. And that's where I was like, wow, that's kind of what I've been doing, I guess, to myself over the past few years without even realizing. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, that's pretty much when I stopped telling myself I can't have this is when I've now came to the place where I don't necessarily want it and I'm not going to choose it. Right. Exactly. And that can take years. So if people are like, how in the world? I mean, that was years of being in the fitness yeah. industry before I could even get there, you know, yep. myself. And so just knowing it does take a lot of practice and just to keep trying. Yep. So how do you go about teaching like that to kids? How do they have that mindful eating with children? You know, with kids, I really just try to, I go, I go and do presentations at especially junior highs. I like the junior high age kids and my whole mission with them is to teach them to not diet. I think kids a lot of times don't have a lot of control over what they eat because the parents are the ones buying the food. They're going to eat what's in the house. So 
you really have to teach the parents to put the healthy foods in the house. Uh, but if I had to choose between my kids restricting and my kids eating too much crap, I would pick the eating too much crap at that age. Because if you start developing that restriction habit, that diet mentality when you're young, their prefrontal cortexes, they're not even fully developed yet. And so that habit loop is really hard to break. That's what I was saying. The difference between Katherine Hansen and I too, is that I think her habit loop probably wasn't as, as uh, solidified or whatever you'd call it as mine, because I had started well before my prefrontal cortex was, was um, ever developed. So yeah, I mean, of course, obviously we want kids to make the healthy choice, but my, my big message to them is do not diet. And I tell the boys to not ever say anything about a girl's weight or I will hunt them down and <laughs> kill them. It just shouldn't be, shouldn't be a focus. You know, really parents just need to try and have better foods in their house. Get rid of the Twinkies and the Oreos. Mm. Yes, I, I like that. And that's great yeah. advice too, especially to tell, you know, the boys and I have a son as well and making sure that, you know, I teach him that as well. Cause yeah. I think that's so important that, you know, teaching not just the girls, but the boys, like how to, you know, respect like themselves. I'm sure there are certain, I don't know if the boys, young boys have as much difficulty with their weight and, you know, growing up as young girls do. Um, cause I had three brothers and I don't think any of them, okay. I don't remember any of them ever once having any worries about their weight or what they yeah. appeared to I think like. they, they probably do. I mean, I know they do. They, it's just not, yeah. Girls Talked are about. far more, yeah, far more susceptible to it. Yes. So how do you kind of bring mindfulness then into your fitness routines? Um, oh, that's a good, I've never been asked that question before. Um, I don't know that I really do. Usually when I'm teaching my fitness classes, like I taught it this morning, I'm just trying to get them through the class. Sometimes what I, what I will do at the end of a class is I'll have them get into plank for the final few minutes and I'll, I'll walk around them as they're in plank and talk to them about their limbic system. And I'll say, your limbic system right now is screaming for you to get out of plank because the limbic system only wants to feel good. It wants to do what is pleasurable, but you do not have to listen to your limbic system. And so I do that a lot, or sometimes if we're doing squats, I'll say, all right, it's your child brain that's telling you to, to stop, but you do not have to listen to it. Um, just keep going. So, you know, I'll joke around with them with, about that, but there's not a lot, of, a lot of time really to be teaching them all of the strategies. Yeah. Yeah. I do recommend my book though. When people come up to me, I'll say, go get my book. Cause that'll teach you some stuff. <laughs> How long have you had your studio? Um, so I started sweaty chicks back in about 2005. Um, and then I did it up until 2014. So I had it like nine years. Um, and then I shut it down just to focus on the nutrition and I'm getting old and my body was kind of wearing out teaching that many classes. So I still own sweaty chicks. Um, and like right now I have a sweaty chicks challenge going on. It kind of is the fitness part of my life, um, but I don't have my gym anymore. Oh, so what kind of then motivates you to, you know, keep pushing and keep inspiring other women? Oh, you know, my dad, my birth dad 
had both his legs amputated from diabetes. And mm. all I have to do is think about that. And it is a huge why. The why is big. I'm sure you know that with, with your mm. clients. The why is big. And sometimes they have to dig deep, especially when they're young and they haven't had health problems. Um, it's better to try to come up with a why instead of wait for the doctor to tell you that you need to, you need to. Oh, yes. No, I definitely agree with that. That's something that, um, have you read No Sweat by Michelle no. Seeger? Super no. good one. That was one that I read a couple years ago and it really transformed the way I looked at fitness and exercise and movement. And um, it really works on like habits and you know, I think that would be a book that you would enjoy based on the ones that you've given me. And I'm looking um, it up right now. As yes. What's yeah. And it's all about the why. Michelle Seeger. Okay. And it's it. super, super fascinating with connecting it back to that why. And she talks about that, which, you know, at the time when I read it, I was like, wow, I haven't really dug that deep into connecting to your why. And then, um, you know, since I've been doing that, it's just made a difference in people's goals and you know, why are they actually, you know, why do they want to lose 10 pounds and digging underneath? It's not just the weight. It's usually a feeling and it's something, you know, either that they've had this connected to, you know, for instance, if they want to lose 20 pounds and back 20 pounds ago, they felt, you know, a little bit more freer, they felt more confident. And so that's where I've kind of transitioned that into my training. Yeah, that's great. I just bought it on Amazon. So thank you. For <laughs> I love thank it. You. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you have to let me know how it goes. <laughs> I will, I promise. So looking at your book, you know, where can we find your book and tell us a little bit more about who it's for and um, the course that you offer as well? Oh, yeah. So you can just go to wendyhendry.com, W-E-N-D-Y-H-E-N-D-R-Y.com. It's on Kindle and it's on Audible. You can read it for free if you have Kindle Unlimited. It's like $1.99 on Audible if you're a member. Um, so I just try to keep it real affordable. Um, so that's where you can grab the book. And then my program, I just, I used to do just workshops. I would do these eight week workshops, but I just turned it into a video course. And so if you want to grab the video course, you know what, let's give a promo code to your people too. I'll set you up a promo code. What do you want me to have it say? You, want me to um, you can just do peaceful power podcast. Okay, I'll do Peaceful Power. Let's do Peaceful Power 50, and it'll give you $50 off. I'll have it set up so they can grab that. And you just get that at my website, wendyhendry.com. You can go to backslash program or just get it from the homepage. Perfect. So that will be great. And I'll put all of that in the show notes as well. Okay. So in case anyone's looking for that there. So um, kind of the last few questions that I have for you. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about um, how people can take the weight philosophy and put it into their lives today. So what is the number one tip you would give for someone? I think the number one tip would be to stop and just listen and try to hear those voices, get used to hearing the limbic system come up with its excuses, things like, it's okay, you can have the, the cupcake because you can start again tomorrow, or it's okay, you worked out at the gym so you can have a snicker bar. Try to start just listening to those voices. That's the very first step. That's what I have people do. Whether you, whether you indulge or abstain, that's up to you, but to just start listening. Mm, I love that. And then finally, kind of my final question, I usually do a weekly challenge to all the listeners. And then when I have guests on, I usually have you guys give them a little weekly challenge. So what would you like the weekly challenge to be this week? Oh, a weekly. I'm going to make this one super simple. My weekly challenge is to get in a hundred ounces of water every day. 
Oh, I like it. And I don't think we've had that one either. That's a good one. I always have the hydration challenge. It really helps. And it even helps to carry around a water bottle because when you want to put something to your mouth, you can put that to your mouth and it kind of helps with that, with that pause, with that waiting. Oh, I like it. Yes. And do you drink anything else besides water? Oh, I'm kind of a Diet Dr. Pepper fanatic, but I, I do try to get my water in first and then I have that be my treat. I love it. Yeah, that's where I usually ask because I'm always like, I, some people don't like water. And so that's one where I love water. So I'm like, mm-hmm. in case people need a twist, I'm like, throw in some lemon or fruit yeah. of some sort and just flavor it up. Exact strawberries are good in there. Oh, yes. That's another good one. Well, I've had such a pleasure um, chatting with you, Wendy, and getting to know your philosophy. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for having me. It was great. Yes. And everyone, go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com, where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the peaceful power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.